So welcome along to this week's A Story to Tell with me, Richard Beauvoisin. This week I interviewed Abby Davies, who's an author and local here in Wiltshire. Really fascinating interview all about the story of how she became an author, what she currently does and also what her future plans are. Don't forget, of course, what is Abby's favourite ice cream. Hope you enjoy. So welcome along, it's Richard Bovesan here until 12 o'clock today. Today I have Abby Davies, who's the author of Mother Loves Me and The Cult. She's a published author and she's been described as intensely gripping, perfectly paced, and thrilling and she is absolutely lovely as well she's got a new book coming out in july called arietti and the tagline is home used to be heaven now it's hell now i know abby really well and this frightens me to some degree good morning abby by the way morning you all right i'm very well uh, so you're here to talk about books writing and dancing as well we know each other from dancing and the quick fire round now all of these books sound quite scary but you don't look very scary yeah, people are always surprised, actually, when they see me and meet me. Um, like I went to a book party uh, last year and people couldn't believe that I'd written Mother Loves Me because it's so creepy. Now, when we're on Zoom today, for those that aren't aware, and uh, behind you, you do have a what looks like the scariest picture in the world. Can you talk, talk me through that picture for the benefit of the tape? Yeah, so my dad is amazingly creative and very very proud of my achievements when it comes to my writing and everything um and he creates these amazing displays that kind of show off all of the elements that are in my books so for mother loves me it's got a, a doll like a victorian looking doll so creepy and then it's got some spiders because in that book there's a there's a spider called deadly okay um, that, that the main character is really frightened of and then it's got a knife um which represents something that happens don't want to give it away no don't uh, and then it's got a copy of the secret garden as well as a copy of mother loves me in there because the little girl well the 13 year old girl who's the protagonist is reading the secret garden oh, okay it, at the beginning of the story so yeah he kind of he pulls out the elements and then visually represents them um what? and it is, it is a bit weird having it in my lounge um, it's a bit disturbing like the plumber came around the other day and he was like what the hell is that um it, it does look quite scary so so yeah. knives i'm guessing dolls what's your thoughts on spiders then i'm terrified absolutely terrified of spiders what about you i had the pleasure the other day of opening up my wardrobe and the spider about the size of the one that i can see in your picture there he oh. uh he kind of jumped out onto my clothes i had like a top shelf and he dropped out oh. down to the hanging clothes and then my wife, Zoe, she said, you've got to get that. I'm like, what the hell do I do with that? Because um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan myself either. Yeah. And this spider, I thought, dropped into one of my shoes that I also have hanging up uh... in my wardrobe. And I pulled the shoe out and I went, I think he's in here. And she went, well, let's just drop it on the floor quickly. So I, thankfully, I kind of tapped the shoe. We dropped it on the floor, yeah. put the cup over the top and uh, and let it go in its merry way safely in the garden. Oh wow, that's that's pretty brave. I is I wouldn't be able to go near that shoe. I'd have to get my husband to do it. It was quite weird. It was quite weird, but it was a big old spider. So yeah, yeah we didn't want that. Um, so what type of books do you write then? That sounds quite yeah, quite thrillery. So I write psychological thrillers, um, and they kind of they usually have a hint of horror in. Okay. Um, 
and there's a tiny, tiny gothic um, edge to them as well. I don't really know where that comes from. I think I've I've kind of read The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, and that always stuck in my mind. Okay. Uh, so I think that that sort of always puts a slight nuance of extra creepiness and darkness into my narrative. Um, so, yeah, I've lost track of the question now. <laughs> <laughs> what type of books do you write? I think was the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so creepy, quite fast paced, um, hopefully thrilling. Um, and I kind of I've invented this sort of tagline to go with it now, um, which is like thrillers with feeling, because okay. I really, really want I really want them to make people feel not just sort of scared or that buzz of adrenaline or creeped out, but actually you know sort of i want it to be emotive so that to it for it to touch them in some way and make them really really care for the main characters and That's hope they survive i often talk about with teaching on stage so for those that aren't aware i'm a, I'm a dance teacher so when i'm teaching on stage one of the main things we try and teach all the other teachers to do as well is be connected to the class yeah that's what the best teachers do and it sounds like yeah. that's what you're trying to do in your books as well yeah, exactly exactly what you say i think the the secret to, and I didn't make this up, I read it somewhere, but the secret to um, anything memorable and impactful um, and emotive is having human connection at the heart of it. So if you can connect to your reader and um, tug at their heartstrings, and, you know, and, and with dancing as well, if you can connect, literally with dancing, like eye contact, I think, is crucial mm. as well. Um, but, yeah, it's all, it's all about sort of... Um, affecting people's emotions and giving them a, a wide spectrum. Now, I have the pleasure of having a seven-year-old daughter and <laughs> we, we have the lovely, wonderful world of reading Harry Potter at the moment. Yeah. However, we're we're stopping at the end of book three, I think it is. She's seven. Yeah. Um, they get quite dark. And even in yeah. book two, which is quite, you know, not too bad, that has its dark moments as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we can, we can look at book, one, two, and three, but then after that, I think she needs to be a bit older, which I think is quite a standard thing for most people. And likewise, the films, they get quite dark early on. I believe you started writing thrillers when you were seven. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what I think. Yeah, I wrote like this ridiculous kidnapping story about my cousins and I getting kidnapped at a fair by these older boys and tied up in this treehouse. <laughs> really disturbing. Um, but we managed to escape because I told them a story and that sent them to sleep. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully my books don't do that these days. But um, but yeah, that was basically the the essence of the story. And then I kind of went off into this really detailed description for s- some random reason of my birthday and opening all my presents and stuff with my mum and dad, who didn't have really have anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I started. Uh, I kept started keeping a folder, and I'm doing it for my little girl Heidi as well. All of um, my drawings and stories that I wrote from from the age of like six or seven. Yeah, so I've got this big folder, and it's it's really interesting. I definitely recommend doing it with your own children because you get to see how much they progress, and then when they're older, they look back on it, um, and they get this sort of real insight into how their artistic and their creativity sort of developed. Sounds amazing. I'm guessing you you're, you mentioned earlier your dad's very creative. Obviously, as an author yourself, you're very creative and is is highly creative as well. 
Yeah, she she's very very into her clay modelling at the moment okay. and unicorns. Obsessed with unicorns. And who wouldn't be? Yeah, I love unicorns. <laughs> They're great. They are great indeed. Now it's always been said that everybody's got a book inside of them, and I'd yeah. like to I'd like to write a book one day. You've now got three books that you've written. Okay, we'll talk about your latest book uh, later on. Um, how did you get into writing? What was kind of your process of how you got to where you are now? Okay, so um, as you can tell, I loved writing stories from a young age. And when I was 16, I wrote quite a f for me at that point, I wrote a few thousand words, I think 16,000 words of um, a thriller based on 24. Do you remember that series? Yeah, I do, yeah. Power. Yeah, so it was like a terrorist thriller where all of the 13, I think it was 13 teenagers get kidnapped. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then I rewrote that when I was 18 and finished it. Um, I was working at Crayola packing the same box of crayons over and over and over again for seven weeks over my summer holiday, wishing I could break my leg so that I wouldn't have to do it anymore. My parents forced me to do it. Um, and it, while I was packing those crayons, I would think about what I was going to write when I got in. So by the end of seven weeks, I had a 90,000 word novel. And I was very naive and I thought I could just send it off to agents. Um, somebody would think it was great and I'd be published. I used to have dreams about this. I was trying to get to sleep. Um, and sadly that didn't happen, but I did get a few little notes back from the literary agents, which were encouraging and said that I was a good writer. Um, and so I was determined to succeed. Um, I went to university to study English literature. And in my third year there, my last year, I started writing another book um, and this time it was a young adult fantasy and I decided I want to, wanted to be a full-time author and I got this job, <laughs> I got this telemarketing job and I was on the sly, I was writing my book because it was so boring and they caught me writing my book. It was so embarrassing, but they were really kind and they actually offered to create a special job for me, like a marketing kind of role. Okay. I couldn't believe how kind they were, but I was so stupid and stubborn. But, you know, in hindsight, I did the right thing. But I said, oh, no, thanks. I'm going to make it as a full time writer. <laughs> so I quit the job and... Um, I wrote novel after novel after novel after novel after novel after novel for 17 years. Right. And then I struck gold with Mother Loves Me. That is how long it took me. Wow. So you are literally the excellent moment of being an overnight success then. <laughs> or not. <laughs> no. Uh, do you know, it's a, really good, it's a really good story because, you know, lots of people think that you just write a book and it gets published straight away. Yeah. 17 years yeah. of, of going for it. And rejection after rejection after rejection. It was at times I'd be in tears because, you know, my my dad's like my number one fan and he'd be like, well, yeah, this is definitely publishable quality. This is really, really engaging, like really enjoyable. And I would just get, you know, rejections from agents. So it, it just, I think, unfortunately, you have to write often you have to write the right thing at the right time and it has to land in the right person's lap. So, how so did there's you a get lot your... of luck involved in that way. How did you get your publishing deal then? So I definitely recommend this to writers. Enter as many competitions as you can that don't don't charge extortionate fees. 
Um, some of them take the mickey, but with um, Miss Lexia magazine, I was subscribing to it because it's all about writing for women. And there was a novel competition and I entered Mother Loves Me into that and I made it to the shortlist. Um, and then the part of the prize of making it to the shortlist was that you got invited to a pitching workshop. So you were taught how to pitch your work. And then there was a party in London and literary agents and their assistants or their assistants went along um, and you pitched your book one to one. And I pitched it to Ewan Thornycroft's uh, assistant and she passed it on to him. And then he got in touch with me. And actually, at the same time, um, another agent offered me representation, but she offered it just after Ewan. Okay. So I went with Ewan, but I knew Ewan um, had a very good reputation, and he he's um, a literary agent for A.M. Heath, which is one of the longest-standing um, literary agencies in London. So, so yeah, and then he he put my book out. He did. He gave me some notes. I improved it, and then he uh, pitched my book to a few editors, and Harper Collins came back. Just a wanting... small publishing house. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't believe it. You know, it was one of the best moments of my life. Okay. When I'd been I'd been working for 17 years. Yeah. And then that happened. It was just unbelievable. So what was the feeling you had then? Was it relief? Was it excitement? Was it almost like a fear of, am I now going to be accepted by the public? No, it was pure euphoria. <laughs> Absolute, like, high as a kite. Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic news. And and now you've got three books out. Um, is the process, okay, we'll talk about this much more later on. Is the process now that you're kind of just writing new stuff all of the time, or are you ever actually going to go back and visit some of those books you did over the 17 years and think, actually, could one of those work now unpublished? Well, actually, um, I'm turning indie because I got a two-book deal with HarperCollins. Okay. And... I'm just going to be brutally honest, the cult didn't sell as well as Mother Loves Me. And because traditional publishing is all about sales, they dropped me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So can you imagine after 17 years and then that happened? So I had a, bit, a year where I was kind of despairing a little bit, but then my dad started looking into self-publishing and we realised that if you get it right, you can be a lot more successful, get your book out to a lot more people um, and obviously earn more money yeah. from self-publishing because the, the traditional publishers take so much I'm sure. um, of, your, of your royalties. So, um, uh, yeah. So now Arietti is actually self-published. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm, my plan, my mission is to publish 18 books in the next five years. Okay. So you've got a lot of writing to do. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Um, we're going to find out a little bit more about you as we come back and about your writing process, actually. Um, but we're going to have a quick break for music. This is Radio Bath.
So we're back. It's Richard Bovesdon here until midday today. I've got Abby Davis, author, on the show today on a story to tell. Her story to tell is all about writing books. She's written three of them. We're going to talk a little bit now about actually the writing process itself as well. So, uh, so what do you find the most challenging about writing, Abby? I think the most challenging thing is knowing that, well, my first drafts are usually about 65,000 words and it's keeping going until that point because um, it just feels like such a mountain to climb. So I, I think that's, for me, that's the hardest thing, getting that first draft done. And then I really enjoy the process after that. And do you kind of like have a set time per day or a set amount of time? Or do you like try and write a certain amount of words? What's your process? Okay, so that? when I'm when I'm writing a book, I have to write every day. Otherwise, I just kind of lose it. So even if it's just 200 words that I squeeze in before going off to teaching in the morning, that is what I have to do just to keep it, to keep the narrative flowing. And also because I don't plan and I don't write anything down about my characters, I have to keep writing it so that I remember everything. Because a lot of people, they kind of have a storyline, don't they? They And then they just yeah. fill in the gaps. Yeah, I think when, when you and... don't, yeah, totally. A lot of people write like that, but a lot of people are called pantsers. So right. they write by the seat of their pants. Um, and that's what I do. And Stephen King does that as well, actually. He he basically starts with the question, what if? Okay. And then he fills in the blank. Like, right. what if there was a religious uh, fanatical mother who had a daughter who had um, telekinetic powers, Carrie? And he just writes the story. And then off he goes. Yeah. So what's your what if moment then? Well, with with Mother Loves Me, my what if moment, I'd, well, it was kind of like I sometimes get an image in my head. So I had this image in my head of a, a skinny, creepy looking woman in a dark room brushing the hair of a teenage girl who has been dressed up to look like a doll. And then I started writing. So I, uh, my what if is kind of like I have a visual yeah, and then I just make it up as I go along. It's all about cause and effect. And if I get bored, I get bored very, very easily. So I think that's why <laughs> my books can be quite um, dramatic. <laughs> They're full of content. Hopefully in a good way. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely full of content, which is, which is always amazing. Now, I know for me that I... I I sadly write some poetry and I've written the odd thing here and there myself. And for me, what I have is kind of like a moment where I go, I just have to write this down. Yeah. And I, and I just, similar to yourself, I suppose, Legit, I just start yeah. writing. Yeah. I don't know what I'm writing. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's like this creative impulse that you can't deny and you have to get the idea on the page. Sometimes a sentence will just spring into my mind for the start of a book. And if you if you don't write it down, it's lost. Like well, creativity gonna... is so fleeting. Yeah, because I know Paul McCartney's very famed for writing yesterday in his sleep, and he woke up and he just, you know, wrote yeah, down the the yeah. court and everything. And if you know, I've had that myself a number of times. Saying I will remember that, and then you go, yeah, it's gone, yeah, and it absolutely it goes. Now I was also reading, and I'll try and get the pronunciation of this correct. Okay, so synesthesia. Yeah, and I was I was reading about that. Um, I'd never heard of it before. Can you explain to us what that is and as an author, how that affects you? Um, so synesthesia is this sort of condition where you you tend to see things in colour. 
So you see words in colour and letters in colour. And I think there are more extreme versions of synesthesia where some people taste, if you said the the word seat, somebody might taste garlic. Okay. Genuine, people genuinely experience this. And sometimes it can be really disgusting things that they taste that are conjured up. Um, right. in their brains somehow by a random word but they could taste vomit nice if you say the word tree <laughs> let's hope there's so nobody random. out there at the moment that that yeah. tree is their trigger word and they now they've yeah. just tasted vomit yeah. we can only yeah, sorry hope. sorry out there <laughs> that just happened to you so you see colours in words or numbers, do you? Is that yeah, how it so it you? really helped me when I was revising. And I always tell this to my students as well. If you, you know, if you kind of associate a word or a letter with a colour, you know, if, you, if you're studying um, biology or something and you're learning about the heart and you see words related to the heart in red, then kind of write those, write, the, write your revision notes in red or highlight it in red. So it helped me in that way. Um, when it comes to my writing, I'm not really sure it really has much of an influence. If you're okay, you can get past it for writing purposes. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is all good. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times about teaching and students. So you are an author, but it's not the only thing you do, is it? No. So I teach English and I've been teaching since my early 20s. And at the moment, I'm teaching at um, a school for children who have dyslexia and other learning needs and it's a lovely school really small classes which is a teacher's delight um love lovely children and i'm really really enjoying teaching there and what i also age? do editing and what age do you do you teach then so i teach secondary okay school uh, so the children i teach at the moment are actually year 9 10 and 11 so 13 um to 16 I have taught in primary and lower school and middle schools before as well. Just wherever you can teach. And you mentioned editing as well. Yeah, so I work for Jericho Writers, um, which is a really good company, has lots of published authors who work as editors. So aspiring writers send their novel in to, uh, and they can select which editor they want to work with. Um, and then we, I'll read the full manuscript and write a four, four and a half thousand word report, analyzing all the different aspects of the craft um, and giving them feedback and advice on how to um, improve it. And I have heard it is all about the editing. And so how do you, did, did you have an editor for your books then? My dad. Your dad, oh, fair <laughs> enough. Well, my dad, my dad's always my first reader. Um, and he's like, he's a very, very, very intelligent guy. And he's incredibly fast at reading as well. So he's a really good proofreader too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets bored easily. So he, he's good in that way. Um, but yeah, he he's kind of my primary editor. And now now that I'm branching out, obviously I have my editor at HarperCollins. Um, and my agent and his assistant would, would have a read through of the book and then give me some notes on it. Um, but now I'm, I'm using Sarah Lindley, who's a published author. Um, she writes psychological thrillers as well. She's going to be one of my beta readers. Okay, what's a beta reader? So it's it's kind of the the first or the second person that looks at it um, and gives you feedback. You, they can give you feedback that's sort of generic, but they could also give you feedback that's 
inspired by questions you specifically ask them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's essential, really, because you need to get a feel for whether the whether the story sort of all makes sense, whether there are any inconsistencies, whether there are any dips in interest or tension. Um, and having a, a I'm, I only have three beta readers, but I think you need to three or more beta readers and then work that into your editing. Um, and then you, you definitely have a stronger book at the end of that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what you don't want is editing by committee, but at the same time, you probably need a few people's opinions. Yeah, yeah, different people, different people who come from different backgrounds. So another person I have is um, one of my best friends, Darren, um, and she she's quite an eclectic reader, um, but she's all she loves the emotional side of my thrillers, and so she's really good at giving me insight into that. Um, but I would definitely recommend anybody who's writing a book get get a good team of beta readers that you trust to be really honest and then i suppose you have that classic thing of feedback so you may be wedded to something and go this is absolutely the right thing and then you'd have all three or four of your readers going that really didn't work how, how do you cope with that then um i think ultimately you've got to listen to your instinct but if there are more people saying that you know that's melodramatic that you know that doesn't work that doesn't really make sense if you if you have sort of if you're outweighed in the opinion you have to really go with that and yeah. trust that people you know because the problem when you write a book is you are so close to it you can't get that object objective difference uh distance no and you're emotionally connected to it as yeah, well i suppose absolutely yeah i mean and lots of writers put their book away for a couple of months so they get that distance from it and then when you come back it's amazing you can see these glaring errors mm. it's incredible it's like you you've kind of grown or, and changed in that two months and then you come back with a completely fresh perspective and you can dive in and cut out all those extra sentences that don't add anything I think that's one of the best ways of editing to make your, your book more streamlined and um, tight and more in engaging is to just cut, 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 cut. Um, in the teaching world for us, we call it noise, which you may have heard that phrase as well. So visual or audible noise. Yeah. So visual noise, if you're jumping around and actually yeah. you just want to point to your shoulder. Yeah. Um, and obviously audible noise is where you're speaking long sentences and you just needed to say the word no. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, we cut all of that out when we're when we're training teachers. Yeah. That and that's similar to when you're teaching English. There's um a lot of theory about teacher talk mm. and talking too much. And it is obviously I'm probably doing that now, but you lose people's <laughs> interest if you talk for too long. Not in the slightest. I I love my one of my favorite sentences is it's really good to be concise. <laughs> and then that's it. And people go is there another half? No, that's it. That's the sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just really good to be concise. Now, traditionally, with being a writer, you're going to have those times when when you just sit there and do you have those times when nothing happens and you get writer's block? And if so, kind of how do you get past that? I think I have that before I sit on the chair to write. I procrastinate and I think, oh, I'm not in the right mood to write. Um, but if I sit in the chair, even if it's a blank page, I I can go because i know that you know i can scrap it if it's rubbish some people have that absolute terror of the blank page yeah what's the first word that's written down moment yeah 
Yeah. So do you have a particular chair and room that you work in every time? Well, I wrote some of Mother Loves Me in my attic. Okay. Which is maybe why it's so dark. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely think all the darkness and the cobwebs and everything crept into like into my fingers and ugh. But yeah, basically because my husband cannot I don't know about you when you're working, but my husband cannot stand it when I can't give him my attention. Mm. So if I start creating an Instagram post or writing an email or reading my book or trying to write and he's in the room, it's almost like he has to talk to me. He has to interrupt what I'm saying. And so I get banished to the attic. This is what happened because there was nowhere else with with, um, a space to write. So I was banished to the attic and it literally was, you know, a proper attic. No okay. dressing it up. You know, there were floorboards that were probably dangerous to step on. So I had this special path that I would tread, you know, and dead spiders would drop down from the ceiling every now and then. Um, but nowadays, when Tommy banishes me, I, I go, I've got this cute little desk in our uh, in the master bedroom okay. that looks out onto the field that has a couple of horses in. Okay. Um, and I, I get banished to there. Well, that sounds quite a nice view to look at rather than dead spiders on the floor. You've now got horses in the yeah. field. Yeah, it's much uh, better. Last and question I about... Oh, I was going to say, I did also write... My, my parents, a few years ago, my parents moved into like a Tudor house. It was ancient, really, really old and really creepy study upstairs. Okay. And I did do quite a lot of writing of the cult in there. Um, so, yeah, I think that probably fed in as well. Anyway, that's what I was going to say. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll talk more about your other books shortly, actually. Um, just regarding characters, though, um, we mentioned earlier about how emotionally connected you are to them. How do you kind of develop your characters? I'm intrigued from a personal perspective how you would, like, develop the characters on paper. Um, so it's like you almost get absorbed into the story as you write it. And, I, you know, I picture it like it's a movie. And the characters just kind of take on a life of their own. And you you don't really, I don't necessarily consciously think, oh, she's going to be like this. She's going to be afraid of this. She's going to have a collection of miniature cactus plants. It just kind of comes as I'm almost walking into the room and looking around and watching these characters interact. Their behavior just is it's really weird. It's hard to explain. No, I, I get it. You're you're part of the book. Yeah. You are those characters while you are Yeah. While you're describing whatever they're doing or whatever they're saying. Yeah. You are one. And maybe that's why you can you know, you and others connect so so well with your books. Um, yeah, how, however, that said, with the cult, my second book, Uncle Saviour, who is the big baddie cult leader and incredibly brainwashy and manipulative and controlling. Um, He was based quite a lot on, I can't remember his name now, but there's a book called Raven, which is about this um, very disturbing cult leader. Um, And, yeah, basically I I read that book and based Uncle Saviour on that. Okay. A lots of uh, we were talking again in teaching last week that one of the uh, the nicest compliments you can have is plagiarism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
if you say something and then another teacher takes that from you and then uses it, you go, well, yeah, must have absolutely, must have been all yeah. Right. Completely, 100%, yeah. So, yeah, plagiarism is all good. Well, when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about your books in specifics and all about your new book as well. So we'll be back after this. I know it's a bad idea, but how can I help myself? Been inside for most this year, and I thought of you. So we're back. It's Richard Boverson here until midday today with Abby Davies, author, who's being our lovely story to tell today. She's very smiley. It's all nice. She's on Zoom just to let people know for today. Um, we're going to talk about your your previously published books and your new book now. So uh, tell us about your first book a little bit. Okay, so Mother Loves Me is quite a creepy story. Um, it's about a woman who lives in a cottage and she has a 13 year old daughter who she dresses and treats like a doll and then on mirabelle that's a 13 year old on her 13th birthday mother comes home with a present for mirabelle which is a little five-year-old girl in a duffel bag who she Ooh. says she's rescued from utopia blimey and then mirabelle starts to question mother's sanity <laughs> and uh, things develop from there okay that's that's an amazing I, I actually want to read that book and i'm going to read that book um and we're going to talk about covers as well a little bit so what's the cover for mother loves me if you can hold out for the camera uh, i'll so, i will post um for those that aren't aware i'll post all of these covers so everybody can see uh yeah. out there but, yeah uh, so the, the co cover for mother loves me basically shows the bottom half of um a little girl holding a teddy bear um, at the top of what appears to be some creepy steps leading down into a basement or a cellar or something like that. Wow. Okay, so that's Mother Loves Me. What was your next book then? So the second book is called The Cult. And that is about a cult, as the <laughs> title would suggest. Um, and it uh, follows the story of love, who grows up in the cult and is completely brainwashed um by uncle savior and it involves the disappearance of two children um a detective who's trying to find these children and a mother who is desperate also to find her children and these three narratives kind of inter intertwine and you're not exactly sure how it's all going to link up until further along in the book don't tell me anything about the book at the moment i'll come back to that in a second what's the cover <laughs> for the cult then so the cult is very Hansel and Gretel, which is actually what the story was based on. And um, it's got a little girl and a little boy running through some fields that are sort of blazing as if they've been lit on fire. Looks a fantastic one. And we're going to talk on to your new book then. Yeah. So talk about your new book then. What's it called? So Arietti is probably the book I'm most proud of. And um, I actually wrote it and called it Blackened Cottage back in 2012. And it was very much a gothic psychological thriller set in the 1800s. And I rewrote it, keeping the major twist um, in the modern day, 
changing it slightly to make it a bit more believable because okay. <laughs> the other one was a bit far out there um and it's basically about a 70 year old uh, girl who's who wakes up one day and her mother has literally just gone just left and she's got memory problems and she doesn't understand where her mother's gone and she's trying to work it out and her father is being acting strange and then there are some other people and she starts to suspect that there's a far bigger crime going on and she's trying to work out and find her mum basically wow and the cover for that is i'm going to say quite stunning thank um, you try and describe that cover for us i know this is radio but give it a go so it's got a bright yellow background and then it's got a big central image in black and white of um, a, a woman facing you, a woman's sort of silhouette. And then in the sort of heart of her throat is a tiny image of a man running. And it's quite disturbing. It's got very high contrast. Yeah. And I actually had a say in this cover, whereas Did I you? didn't have a say in the other two covers. So I feel quite proud of it. I had a lot of a lot of interest based on the cover alone on Instagram yeah. and Twitter. Um, so yeah, very proud of this one. No, that looks in, that looks incredible. There is that good old phrase: you should never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah, but having done research, I think you know a lot of people's minds are made up within the third for the first three seconds of seeing a front cover yeah so it really it really is essential to get your cover right yeah now we mentioned earlier that uh, you had your publishing deal and your first book sold well i'm guessing and second yeah. book not so well and therefore you've now gone self-published so tell us about that journey do you, do you know how many books you've sold or so i think last time i well, my dad told me because he, he I don't really understand the royalty statement reports that we get. Um, the last time he told me, I think it was about 30,000 copies of Mother Loves Me. And I'm not sure how many copies of the cult. OK. And what do you hope for then out of Ari Arietti? Is that correct? Arietti. Well, um, I just don't really know. I mean, I have a bit of a following on Instagram, people who you know, want to read all of my books and are very enthusiastic and excited. Um, so I'm hoping that it sells it sells well and that it kind of has a knock-on effect, sort of a backwards knock-on effect to the other two books. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you just, you don't really know. I, I can't really predict how well it's going to sell. It's kind of so, exciting but absolutely terrifying at the same time. So being a published author in the first with Harper Harper Collins, was it? Um, yeah. So would they put all your books out to Waterstones and that type of place? Yeah, so I'm publishing Arietti on Amazon in paperback and Kindle, and I've just um, agreed, uh, I've just chosen a narrator. So it will be this will be available in Audible um, okay. as well. The other two are already available in the Audible version. Um, but I'm using a company called Ingram Spark. And when you publish through them, you can get your books into the catalogue that goes out to bookshops like Waterstones and WH Smiths. Okay. So hopefully this will get into those shops as well. The other two got into them. So I'm hoping this will. I think one thing about self-publishing is it's incredibly hard to get your books into supermarkets. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that Mother Loves Me sold better than the cult was Mother Loves Me got into more supermarkets. Mm -hmm. And also they managed to get a £2 deal for Mother Loves Me. And when it got, drops to £2, 
the sales go up so much, but they didn't yeah. manage to get that deal for the cult. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it is about publishing, isn't it? And about, yeah, I should say those deals that are offered and and where it gets placed. You could have the best thing in the world, but if nobody knows about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. It's about getting the word out there, which is really hard to do. Um, but I, I'm not a natural on social media either. Okay. But I really genuinely enjoy Instagram and Bookstagram and getting recommendations from, from readers because I'm just a complete bookworm myself. So I really yeah. enjoy that side of it. But I must admit, I struggle on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I struggle to know what to say that will actually be interesting to people. You know, I don't know about you. Do you use Twitter? Um, I, I do in a kind of roundabout way in that... Um, the majority of our marketplace, the people that come dancing, are more Facebook people yeah. than Twitter and Instagram or TikTok, for instance. Yeah. However, anything I post on Facebook gets cross-post to the other social media outlets yeah. as well. So, I But do. I I don't really check Twitter much myself. I remember yeah. that, um, when Twitter first came out, Jeffrey Archer, he said, I want to go on a world book tour. And uh, his uh, his agents turned around and said, Jeffrey, you've got 15 million followers on Twitter. We'll do one post and you're done. <laughs> and that's it. And that's how he advertised. Um, wow. God, I wish I had that many followers. Yeah. It helped I went on there. <laughs> well, that's it. You've got to be active to, yeah. to create and create the interest and what is going to make you interesting for people to then follow you. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe we'll have a chat afterwards about all of that. And of course, you know, offering up my services if you ever need a narrator for your following books. I'm sure oh. I, I'm I'm more than happy to jump in on that one as well. Thank so you. yeah, totally. Uh, offering my services live on radio. What what's better <laughs> than that? <laughs> it really is. Um, so I suppose with, it's a bit like with a pop artist in some way, isn't it? You have that second second album problem. Your first yeah. album, you're brand new. Yeah. And the second album, it's that follow up moment. Well, it is it's very much a debut market at the moment. I don't I don't know if you picked up on it, but publishing mm. houses, the big publishers especially, are just publishing debuts. Debut. And if the debut doesn't make it massive, they drop them. Yeah. They drop the writer. And it's it's just a really a really weird way of going about it. But they just want to find that one hit wonder. Yeah. It's ruthless. Yeah. It's, it's a business. Incredibly they, ruthless. I didn't have a clue how ruthless it was. In the nicest possible way, they don't really care about you. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. They really don't. Yeah. Um, now, in your latest book, I see you've got some illustrations in there as yeah. well. So, uh, so who did the illustrating and how did you choose them? So, I basically, well, this in this book, Arietti and her mother Sophia. Her mother Sophia is um, a quite a successful artist, and Arietti, her daughter, kind of is following in her footsteps. And they love drawing with charcoal. And for me, there's something about charcoal artwork that's quite creepy mm -hmm. and slightly gothic. And so I looked on Instagram to see if there are any artists and I found somebody who's absolutely amazing, but she said she would charge about £250 for one picture. Mm. And I wanted to have 17 pictures in my book and I didn't have the budget for it. So no. it just happened that one of my beta readers, Derin, her dad, um, Dr. Stephen Henning, who's a, a zoologist, um, but also draws and I sent him my spec for, for the artwork and he came back to me with a couple of drawings and I just thought they were fantastic. Yeah. 
So I, I did I did pay him, but very little. But he just loves doing them. He really enjoys doing them. Do you want to see a couple? I'd love to see a couple. Yeah, absolutely. Have a quick look. So there's one of them. So for the, the creepy blackbird. Yeah, a creepy blackbird. Uh, this Amazing. one. Oh, where is it? Don't fold the pages over. There's a really creepy one that I've, I'm trying to get quotes from authors. And Tina Baker, who wrote Call Me Mummy, is reading my book at the moment. Okay. And she said that she was reading it. I can't find the picture. That's she okay. was reading it at night and she was about two thirds of the way through. And she was suddenly like, oh, my God, when she saw this picture. That came <laughs> she said it made her jump. So wow. there are a few creepy ones in there. I don't know if anybody's read Hidden Pictures by Jason Repulak. I think that's how you say his surname. But I really recommend that. If you okay. if you like the idea of um, a thriller that has artwork inside it, um, then it adds to the creepy vibe. It really does. Okay. I will uh, I will try and have a look out for that once I've finished your books, of course. And oh, just yeah. remind us, um, you've got a website as well, haven't you? Yep. So it's um, Abby Davies com oh that's a very easy website abby a b b y davies d a b i e s yeah dot com and i'm trying to trying to do a bit of a blog and um doing a newsletter that gives people the opportunities to win win some um free sort of little gifts and to get early insights and look and uh sometimes some free writing that i've done as well okay oh, that sounds amazing might, so, yeah. if people are interested in psychological thrillers they might enjoy subscribing to that abbydavies.com okay we'll have a look at that now last question in the section then is i i love watching films okay i love reading books yeah. however i once had a book that was completely ruined for me by the fact i read the back cover okay and on the back cover it said part one people are going to be in this continent part two people are going to be in this continent and yeah. therefore in part one i knew that when they were having battles and whatever it may have been they were all going to survive because it mentioned they were in part two. Oh, so and you've Spoiler already mentioned, alert. well you've already mentioned that there's a twist for instance in one of your books which i'm now blanking out which one that is okay so that <laughs> i i actually read it because otherwise all i'm going to do is read it and think right where's the twist when's the twist going to come and that's what's going to be in the back of my head all of the time really yeah, oh no absolutely. i shouldn't so, say that so i never watch for instance trailers of films yeah unless i have to be in the no, cinema I'm the same. come up because yeah. i don't want a marketing they give, they give everything away don't they yeah Absolutely. I've got a marketing executive telling me what's going to happen. Now, let's yeah. have a look at the scenario that your books get picked up to be made into a film. Okay, <gasps> you have somebody else writing your screenplay and doing the marketing for oh, it. Yeah. How much do you feel you would need to be involved in that? Or would you write the screenplay yourself? Or how would you feel about that? Oh, oh my God. I would have to be involved. I, I'm not a control freak, but when it comes to my stuff... Like there are films I've seen based on books that have totally butchered the book. Mm. Um, I'm not going to mention any in case I offend anybody. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you've put such so much work and emotion and feeling and thought and time into a project like a book, and then if they didn't do it justice, it, it would destroy me. So yeah. yeah, I would definitely want to. I, would, I don't think I would write the screenplay because I don't have any experience writing screenplays, and I probably would sort of try to sit in and learn how to do it. But mm -hmm. 
I think I would just I would just kind of want to see regular updates like maybe if they sent me each scene in the screenplay of each scene as they went along and then yeah. I could tell them you know oh yeah I think that that little bit of dialogue needs to be included yeah yeah it'd be really difficult wouldn't it to kind of yeah. see your baby transformed yeah what about you would you um I definitely want to be involved I think yeah. the, the thing that I would always say is that if I wanted and I'll use a strange analogy here but if I want some plumbing done I'll get a plumber <laughs> I wouldn't get yeah, an exactly. That's my point. So, I'm not a screenplay writer. So you know? no, and, and I know screenplay writing is really quite specific in the it way is, in which yeah. it has to be done. It's very different to writing a novel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd let them get on with it. But yeah, I'd want to be involved and see kind of have an overall seeing of it. I think is Absolutely. how I would want to do it. Yeah, I think um, I'm the same. Yeah. yeah. We try not to stick my oar in too much. No, no, because that then becomes irritating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to have another little break for music. When we come back, as I mentioned earlier, I know Abby from dancing, and we're going to talk about dancing for a few minutes. So we'll be back after this. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. Right, we're back then with the lovely Abby. We're going to talk about dancing now. So, so yeah, I'm a dance teacher for those that don't know, and Abby comes along to to my events quite regularly. So, first of all, Abby, how long have you been dancing? So, I started when I was 23, and I'm now 39. So, you do the math. <laughs> well, I'm going 16 years. Yes, well, that's quick. I used to be a math teacher myself. So, um, and... <laughs> Uh, has how has the scene changed over those 16 years for you um younger dancers are coming in uh okay. for sure uh there's a more of a trend for smooth dancing when it comes to modern jive slash siroc slash yep. slash smooth jive um and yeah i mean in terms of how friendly it is i don't think that's changed at all um but yeah no it is a lovely environment to be in i was chatting to yeah. a, a friend of mine recently who was struggling along and i said come dancing it's three hours of happy time yeah it's, absolutely people, people doing what they love totally immersed in it not realizing they're exercising that's one of the things i love about dance yeah is that you're burning those calories and because you've got the music on and you're interacting with people and you're just letting go and dancing like no one's watching you don't even realize you're exercising unless you really go for it and your heart's like ah <laughs> which i do get occasionally these days i never used to get it no, it's it's much harder being a follow than it is being a lead. In fact, I, I wear my Apple Watch um, while we're dancing, and I'm I'm quite efficient now at yeah. dancing. And my my resting heart rate is around about forty eight, uh, so I'm wow. I'm, re I'm reasonably fit. Um, Good. And I know, and uh, <laughs> and yet I struggle to get my heart rate above eighty when I'm dancing now. Um, oh my god unless, i need to do more dancing unless i'm being a follow in which case it goes up to about 130 
Really? But yeah. Wow. It's mu- yeah, it's much more work. You're traveling much further being a follower. Yeah, we so. do a, a lot of spins. A lot of spins, a lot of walking. Um, yeah. It's good. Now, you used to compete as well. How did you get on with competing? Yeah. So in my 20s, started off at the intermediate level, um, and we did quite well. We, I think we came second in our first one or third in our first one, and then we went to advanced, and we did pretty well, and then we competed at Blackpool okay. in the Open, oh, wow. and we came third. Did you? Amazing. Yeah. Who's the we? Me and my ex. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> enough <laughs> we'll said. We'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, do you know what? There's very few um, very few dance couples who are actually couples. Um, I know. You may or may That's not have experienced I'm impressed, this. impressed by you and Zoe. Well, we've, we don't compete anymore. Um, yeah, but we you judge. did compete and you we stayed together. Compete. We did, com- yeah. When you are competing and practicing, um, shall we say in the studio when you're practicing, it isn't always happy, happy yeah. times. Yeah, because um, no. you're working on things and they're not going right. Certainly, when you get up to open level, which is the top level of dancing, uh, it's really, really difficult. And you're practicing stuff sometimes for an hour that that might not go right once. Yeah, and that exactly. Can cause some frustrations. Yeah. Well, I think with me and my ex, I never wanted to practice. I just wanted to dance for fun. So he would have to basically drag me into the village hall and then arguments would abound so we basically barely ever practiced and we did pretty well so I feel yeah. proud of that. yeah absolutely um yeah i, I judge more well both myself and so we judge more these days which is yeah very tiring actually people think just walking around with a clipboard is quite easy um obviously your decisions matter to people because they, exactly. you know, they work hard yeah. for it yeah so, yeah, the responsibility yeah. is is quite exactly. a lot. Yeah. Are you thinking about competing again at any point? Um, it has crossed my mind, but I, I just worry that if I competed, people would want to practice, <laughs> and I just hate that. I just like dancing for fun. Yeah. Um, I don't like being structured about it. Um, and also, I used to do lots of lifts, and. I don't think there are that many dancers that I come across who do lifts and lifts aren't really allowed, I don't think, are they, anymore? Uh, lifts are allowed thing at that's open changed. level. They're allowed yeah, at but I mean at, at freestyles, like at the weekend. Yeah. and No, because me and my ex used to do them at freestyles and things like that, so we used to practice that way. But for insurance purposes, if you've got somebody flying with their leg yeah. around the head level, um, that can be quite dodgy, shall we? Yeah, we used to get dark. away with it. I think I think we weren't allowed to, but they just used to let us get away with it. I, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> that was uh, when I danced around Bedfordshire. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Not, not in our area then, down no, here. No, it's not you, Richard. Don't not worry, down it's here in Wiltshire and Somerset. But, um, <laughs> so what's your favourite style of music to dance to then? Um, I absolutely love 50s. Okay. Like really fast, really energetic. You know, the typical sort of, you know, on Strictly Come Dancing when they do the jive. Yeah. That like Johnny Be Good, um, that kind of thing. I absolutely love. Okay. That that may be why my heart rate doesn't get up past (laughs) 80 anymore, because we tend to play much slower music these days. How do you get on with the slower music then? Um, I think I'm gaining in confidence. It's not really my comfort zone because it, it requires you to be a bit more sensual and a bit more sort of, I don't know, controlled. And I like to just fling myself in. 
kind of have to hold my energy back a bit when it's slower music. It's kind of strange. I've often said the fact that when you dance to slow music, you actually dance faster. When you dance to fast music, you actually dance slower. And it's kind of a weird thought process. An interesting paradox. I'm not really sure I get that. Well, the the principle is is that if the music's quite slow, then you would often put in a double turn or a double spin. Um, If it's quite fast, you could only do half a turn or half a spin. So you'd actually end up moving less and keeping it much more simple when it's fast because you don't have the time to do more expressive things. So quite often when it's slow, you would actually dance harder and dance quicker as well, but then have the breaks of of then dancing slower to the slower parts. But it's it's much harder. Now, when I watch you dancing, and I had the pleasure of watching you dancing last weekend, okay, (laughs) I'm going to use the phrase, you are very carefree on the dance floor, which I love. I absolutely love it's something which I try and train people to do is just to kind of that classic phrase of just dance like nobody's watching you yeah and that's what it looks like when you're dancing is that how it feels that's what I try to get you know if I've had a stressful day it could take me quite a while to get to that point I might never get to that point but I do try to dance like no one's watching yeah definitely you're you're, you're a beautiful dancer um you're somebody Thank I always you. look you have to, to dance say that. I, I do have to say that you've, you're right, but no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> as people know, I, I always say the truth as much as possible. Um, but no, you are a beautiful dancer. And yeah, you're somebody that people would want to dance with all of the time. Thank so, you. But you're Mr. Smooth, as we <laughs> were saying earlier. <laughs> it's, uh, we're discussing the Mr. Smooth advert from Softies from the 1980s. <laughs> And uh, we we did watch the video very quickly, and it's a marshmallow man kind of bouncing along the road in a in a kind of weird way. And you, you pointed out, actually, I don't dance like that. But uh, so. no, but yeah, you are Mr. Smooth. You're such a smooth dancer. It's it's really lovely to dance with you. That's that's very kind of you. I I just try and enjoy it and listen to the music. Yeah. Is, the, yeah. is the plan. So regarding dancing in the future, then for you, kind of, is there any ways in which you want to kind of develop your dance style, or are you now at the point where you just simply want to turn up and and enjoy yourself? Well, um, I love ballet bar, and I love. I've recently discovered hot yoga, okay. and I feel like getting a bit more flexible and um, building my core muscles um, could sort of lead me to being able to do slightly more balletic kind of interesting style moves when it, that slower music comes on so i'm kind of leaning towards that at the moment that sounds amazing i mean often in strictly the dance that they struggle with the most is the rumba oh, i love the rumba yeah. i love the rumba too and the reason for that is because it is slow everything gets exposed all of your techniques yeah exactly. that's exposed. what it is that's what i find scary about slow music uh, you feel exposed yeah absolutely. it's hard not to think that you're being watched when it's slowed down like that yeah and and that's it so just to put some uh clarification like when we talk about fast and slow music for for those that are listening so rock and roll is around about 160 beats per minute there are thereabouts uh, the speed of dancing when we're talking about slow music is kind of between 90 and 100 beats per minute. The standard that we'd normally dance to on class nights would be between 100 and 120 beats per minute. So that's kind of the ranges that we go. But when we go slow to kind of 90 beats per minute, yeah, everything kind of all techniques get exposed. Yeah. Uh, and it's scary. Yeah. It's scary yeah. for people. Um, but it it's, is. It's great fun. It's, uh, yeah. But at the end of a dancing night, how do you feel? Just the last question on this for you. Ah. Uh. I just feel like really relaxed and really happy. It's very simple, you know, you just feel like you've all of your stress has gone away and you've had a great time, you've shared your passion with people 
Um, and yeah, you just feel really, really happy. Yeah, and it's amazing, isn't it? I'm going to very, I very rarely plug, but I'm going to plug. If you do want to dance, then uh, our company is Siroc, so it's Siroc.com. If just by type in your postcode, and you can find your local class nights. Uh, can highly recommend it. The phrase I've heard more than anything else in my entire life is, "I wish I'd have found this years ago." Yeah, yeah, and, and that I is the phrase. Get that. Yeah, and it's available for all people from 16 right through to 600. So anybody is is welcome <laughs> to come. But uh, as you can probably hear, both myself and Abby, we we love dancing. Um, yeah, and it's a great way to be social with people and just get out there and and do it. And, and it's for it's really for fun. any ability level as well. Absolutely, <laughs> any ability. Absolutely. Um, we're going to have another little break for music. When we come back, it's that infamous quick fire round, and Abby doesn't get any access to these questions, so she's <laughs> no idea what's coming up next. Right, we're back. Here's Richard Boveson here until midday today. And before we do our quick fire round, we're just going to talk very quickly about your new book coming out, Abby, and how people can get in advanced copies of it. Tell us about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm trying to build my advanced reader reviewer team. Um, so if anybody's interested, um, I'd be very happy to send out a free um, ebook version of Arietti. Um, and my mission, like I said earlier, is to uh, write or well, publish 18 in the next five years. So if you join my reviewer team and you still want to after you've read this one, after you've read Arietti, then I will happily send you the next book and the next book and the next book um, before it's actually published in paperback so you can get the free ebook version. So if you are interested, um, you can email me um, at, should I say it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, what's your email address? So you can email me at um, Abby Richards. It's abbyrichards at hotmail.co.uk um, and just let me know. And then I've got your email address and I can ping it to you via book funnel. And okay. then you have it. And it's in, in exchange for an honest review that you could publish on Amazon, Goodreads, any other social media platforms on and around publication date, which is the 18th of July. Okay, so your new book's out on the 18th of July. Yeah. Uh, if you can't remember the email address of Abby, if you email studioradiobath.com with your email address, and we will forward that on to Abby as well. So yeah, studioradiobath.com, uh, and we can forward on your email to Abby too. So I'm gonna get an advanced copy as well myself. I will yep. try and review it for you. Um, we had Stuart Lee doing his book uh, a few months ago, and uh, he does, did something very similar, and I, I did a review for his book as well. So, so yeah, oh, it's definitely a process that works. Um, oh, yeah. And it's it's great. And, you know, it's great to support somebody like yourself as well, which will be good. Thank you. Right, we're on to the quick fire round then. So, as always, our guests don't have access to what these questions are. It's the part that they get the most nervous about because they don't know what's coming up. <laughs> How are you feeling about this, Abby? My, my blood pressure's gone up. <laughs> you will be fine. Right, my the, heart's first you, the first one you do get access to, okay, because I've yeah. told you already. So what is your favourite ice cream? Coconut. Co oh, I love a coconut ice cream. Yeah, it's lush, yeah. isn't it? It is lush. You get that scenario, you go into the ice cream shop and they have all the tubs in front of you. Yeah. I often go coconut myself. Yeah, I love it when you go on holiday and in Italy or Spain and they have 
those amazing massive displays of ice cream and they have all like the like pieces of bounty mm. chocolate bar on top of the actual ice cream and stuff like that and it just it, you just have to have one so good coconut i haven't had coconut yet i love it uh, are you tidy or messy tidy <laughs> you had long pause there <laughs> are you tidy in some ways and messy others um the bedroom is always messy okay but the but yeah down, upstairs tends to be messy downstairs tends to be tidy although if you saw it right now you wouldn't say tidy <laughs> <laughs> it looks zoom tidy to me uh, love or, you can love only or see hate. the ball behind me. <laughs> love or hate roller coasters? Hate. Hate, why? I just, those creaky noises they make absolutely get into my head and terrify me these days. Okay. Uh, when we went to Disney a few years ago, I went on one, one roller coaster and none, no others for the rest of the holiday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I just like all the, I like all the Disney characters and the shops and stuff the parades that's what i go to disney for but not the rides no definitely not the rides. right we've got a couple of new questions now in our quick fire round here's the first of them do you hang your toilet roll over the top or round the back or over the top matter over the over top. the top definitely if it's round the back i have to flip it do you do, do yeah. you flip it when you go to other people's houses if it's round the back yes yeah do you yeah How do you... yeah. yeah absolutely it has to be over the front yeah uh, there is a reason for it which we won't go into now but um so yeah that's that's how the posh hotels do it as well i don't yeah. quite get to the point of folding it over no i know that's those. what i was thinking now i'm not that i'm not that special <laughs> uh, do you eat your chocolate from the fridge or from the cupboard my husband has introduced a fridge option and i actually like it because it kind of lasts a bit longer in your mouth yeah than if it's warm it melts too quickly it does we, now myself and zoe we are very we like a lot of the same things in a lot of the same ways, except chocolate. I really? Is, yeah, I love it from the fridge. Yeah. She loves it from the cupboard, which is yeah. fantastic. I got given a box of chocolates recently. Do you know what I did? Bought them in the fridge, and you yep. are going to eat every one of them. Oh, nice. <laughs> which is good. Now, I, I think I have some idea of this because of your earlier answer, but do you make your bed in the morning? No. No. <laughs> Just jump out. And my husband said to me that, you get a sense of achievement. He's been listening to all these self-help books recently. And you get a sense of achievement if you start your day by making your bed. That's right. I think it's because my mum my mum and dad used to make me make my bed in the morning. That oh, okay. now, even though I'm 39, it's like a rebellious thing. I get to not have to make my bed. So 20 years post being a teenager, still a teenage <laughs> rebel. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely. I'm like 19 in my head. I think we all are yeah <laughs> uh, apart from my body saying i'm not anymore no i know god yeah i know what you mean um, what is your favorite breakfast um favorite breakfast ever is probably like one of those oh no maple syrup pancakes like proper american pancakes stacked with loads of maple syrup on and butter any fruit no no <laughs> what about you <laughs> uh do you know what I don't. Well, my, my favorite breakfast I often have, and I was discussing this with a good friend the other day, is sesame seed bagel okay, with butter, then Philadelphia on the bottom layer, has to be the bottom layer, not the top layer, oh. and then Marmite on the top layer. Sprinkle more sesame seeds on, and then I'd squidge it together like a sandwich and eat it like that. I've uh, never heard of that. Yeah. 
Have you not? No. It's not one of the questions, do you love or hate Marmite? But I'm asking it now. Do you love or hate Marmite? No, I'm one of those annoying people who doesn't go down on either side. Oh, just not bothered. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, What is your go-to, if you had to, your go-to karaoke song? Um... Oh, God. Don't Stop Believing. Oh, very good. By, From Glee or or, yeah. or the original by Journey. It's one yeah. of my favourite songs. Okay, and I've asked this, and one person has done it so far, but you don't have to. Are you going to give us a little no. rendition now? No. <laughs> no way. I love the fact that I didn't, didn't even get to the end of the question before the people's no ears. came out. No one will ever buy my books if they hear me sing. Well, I'm sure you're a great author. We might not know about your singing, but there we go. Uh, do you have a favourite TV programme or film? Uh, one of my favourite films is Dirty Dancing. Of course. Without well a doubt. You. Yeah. TV programme. Uh, I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Okay. That's the, you're not obviously not seen them. No. They're pretty trashy TV. Okay. But, um, yeah, I love them. You have Very to much. watch it. See what you think. I will I will have a watch of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. So uh, <laughs> we did have a conversation we got with one of our dance teachers, actually. I, w- I won't mention who they are. And they hadn't watched Dirty Dancing. And they what? mentioned this on stage. Sacrilege. And they actually got booed. I'm surprised they didn't get cabbages thrown at them. So, well, people didn't have the cabbages to hand, but they did bring them the following week. If that person <laughs> hadn't watched it, they had watched it at that point. Oh, so, good. Uh, yeah, it's, it has to be part of the... Yeah, it's just one of those favourite films ever. And here's your last question then. So if you came back in your next life as an animal, which one would you be and why? I would be a dog. (laughs) Why a dog? Because I love dogs and they are really affectionate. They have a really easy life and they like feel emotions, you know. I just, I just absolutely love dogs. I'm much, very much a doggy person. What about you? Um, yeah, a dog would be quite similar. Um, I love dogs as well. I, I used to have dogs, but I just, I don't want to pick up the uh, the uh, produce from a dog. Oh anymore. yeah. So that's that's oh, the downside. So, so we have a cat now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah they're self sufficient. They are more self sufficient. So what would I come back as? I, I generally don't know, but yeah, dogs a nice option. Yeah. Kind of lounging around and Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can see walk. I can see Bilbo just lying there having a sleep right now. And Tilly's on the other sofa. These are your dogs, I'm guessing. Yeah, two cocker spaniels, yeah. Beautiful dogs, they are cocker spaniels. Um Abby, so thank you so much for coming on today. Can you remind us of your website and uh where people could actually buy your books from as well? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and thank you, anybody out there who's listening. So my website is abbydavies.com. And my books are Mother Loves Me, The Cult, and Arietti so far. Um, Arietti's out on the 18th of July. Yeah. And you can buy them all on Amazon. And if you're lucky, well, you know, you might stumble across Mother Loves Me or The Cult in Waterstones. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Thank you very much. <laughs> my pleasure. I cannot wait to read the books myself. Um, it's generally going to be the next thing I do is pop them on my phone and uh, listen to the audio book of it. So, oh, uh, brilliant. I, I can't wait. Thank we'll you. chat about it, no doubt, at dancing at some point in the future. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Abby, brilliant. thank you so much for coming Radio Bath today. This is Radio Bath.